summarize a few of the thoughts of the messages as briefly as I can. We started off the conference on Monday morning reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, our conference theme verse, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. As Brother Isaac pointed out, the Apostle Paul's concern after having left Thessalonica prematurely because of the affliction and persecution. He was concerned about how they were doing, so he thought it good to be left at Athens alone, chapter 3, verse 1. And he sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish them and comfort them concerning their faith, that no man would be moved by these afflictions, as Brother Isaac said, knowing that you were appointed thereunto. The word stand fast means to Stand firm, persevere, or keep going. So I want to try to weave a thread through each of the seven messages briefly and emphasize something in every one of their messages. Whether they use the words I'm going to use or not, it was there to show you the power of standing fast and what it's going to take not to be moved from the hope of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 6, Elder Andrew Huffman. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction or in much affliction. They started the Christian race in affliction. And in chapter 3, they're still having affliction. Paul doesn't want them to be moved from that first day to the day of him writing that letter. What is the power that's going to keep them from being moved in the affliction so that they're standing firm, standing fast in the Lord with joy in the Holy Ghost. With joy. Now, Brother Isaac pointed out, well, yes, the theology, we know God is sovereign, we know He's appointed it, but how do you have joy in affliction? Because that's what they did. And we know that their joy was not in something they owned or the circumstances because things were being ripped out of their hands, even life itself. And yet, in the affliction, they had joy in the Holy Ghost. Did you not feel joy as Brother Isaac detailed the providence of God's faithfulness? Did it not give you some spiritual joy to know the the minute details in which God was working to bring Paul to the very place where he was to preach about the faithfulness of God. See, whether we know those details at the moment or not, in our affliction, God is at work in that detail, in your affliction. And He's causing every single tear in your life an affliction, Ephesians 1.11. He is causing everything to serve His predestinating purpose to make you like Christ in everything. Ephesians 1.11 That's why James says, count it joy. Because we know something about God and what He's doing. And so although affliction does not produce joy, we can have a spiritual joy in God in the soul Because we know He's at work and He is making everything serve the purpose of making you like Christ. And what do you think God expects you to experience when you're like Jesus Christ? Joy. 
Number two, Louis Sacron, verse 10. For they themselves show of us what mannering in we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So you turn from the service of idols to the service of God. How do you serve an idol? Now, we were up here in the question and answer. Brother Lewis asked me what a verse was in the Bible because he said, Brother so-and-so says you use it all the time. I didn't know how to take that exactly, but I'm going to say a verse right now that at Heritage, if you ask him, I say, he uses that all the time. It's just one of my go-to verses. If somebody asks me, what does it mean to serve an idol? I guarantee you, 99.9% of the time, this is where I'm going to go. Titus 3.3. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving all kinds of lust and pleasure. To serve idols means you find some created object in the cosmos. I don't care what it is. And you expect it to satisfy your soul. For that, you and I are damned forever. That's why the wrath of God is abiding on sinners. Because we've taken objects and we expect them to do what God alone and the Messiah can do, and that is idolatry. Now here's the question. How do you serve God? Well, you forget about joy and pleasure and you just dutifully come to church and you just kind of take it and do it. And when we turn to serve the living and the true God, we're turning to the living God to do what only the living God can do. To bring satisfaction to the soul. So we have joy. We have being satisfied. Chapter 2, Brother Jamie Tucker. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel. He told us boldness fuels the gospel and the gospel fuels boldness. But it's the approval of God which must be our aim to overcome the approval of man. But as we are allowed to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth the hearts. Paul is going to speak of three things we have to overcome to overcome pleasing men. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, nor of you, nor of any other. Flattery, the love of approval. We flatter others for our own interest when we want to win their approval. Covetousness, the love of money. Glory, the love of praise. Three things we do to please men. What will overcome the love of approval on social media? The love of money that we all struggle with. And the love of praise. The approval and pleasure of God. And the love of God that delights our souls. Joy being satisfied, and the love of God. Chapter 2, Elder Jeremiah Bass. I'm going to read this one, because frankly I can't quote it. Verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of truth which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. They didn't receive it as the word of truth or the word of men. Now, what do you do? What does it take for you to receive the, the word of men? 
What does it take for you to receive the word of a financial advisor? If he says, look, if you put your money in my company, I guarantee you, you will lose everything you have. No, thank you. Look, if you'll come play volleyball on our college team, if you'll just come play, I guarantee you, you'll never have a playing minute on my team. You won't receive the word of a man. You will not receive the word of a man unless it means gain for you. But this church received the word of God as it is, and it meant loss for them. Loss. It says in the next verse, For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for you also have suffered like things. You know when you're receiving the word of God as the word of truth, in suffering, what you're valuing is the gain of God. Because you have no other gain. When you lose everything for the cause of Christ. Joy, satisfied, love, gain. Chapter 4, Elder Thomas Mann. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Lust, desire, concupiscence, longing, craving. How on earth can you expect to battle the craving of sexual intimacy? As Brother Thomas unpacked for us. Can you just tell it no? And there's more ways, as Brother Lewis spoke about, access. I'm sorry, Brother Lewis, what was your second word? Anonymity. Anonymity. That's a big word for me. And appetite. And I want to focus on the appetite. The Gentiles cannot abstain from intimacy sexually. They cannot. Why? They don't know God. The Greek word is ido. See. They can't see Him. They understand something about Him. They know Him in a one-dimensional kind of flat way, but they don't know Him in a saving way. They've never seen His supremacy, His glory. They've never seen the glory of the cross in such a way to love God. So the flip side of that is the way we overcome the lust of concupiscence is by knowing God in such a way that God's love and the delight we have in it help us to fight against those urges and longings that we have for that and many other things. Peter urged the church, the suffering church in 1 Peter 2, about the 12th verse, I beseech you, Brothers, as pilgrims and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust, which are warring in your soul. How can we wage war against desire? Chapter 2, verse 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So joy, being satisfied. Love, gain. Knowing God. How does God overcome our covetousness? He writes the law in your heart so that you would know Him from the least to the greatest. Because all of Israel had done what? Coveted from the least to the greatest. God 
gives us the privilege of knowing Him spiritually through the Word of truth so that through that Word, it brings about contentment and joy and the fruits of the Spirit that we know of in the Bible. And then chapter 5, Brother Isaac, which said it in many different ways. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be prepared blameless or preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you who also do it. He will do the preserving blameless, faultless. You just sang today, faultless stand before the throne. Faultless. What is the aim of Christ in presenting His bride faultless, blameless, unimpeachable, unaccusable, justified, clothed in the white garment of the wedding, the wedding garment? That symbolizes purity, but we all know that there is no... There is no bride that's pure, except one, the one that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Using the language of a a wedding, and this is just kind of made up, this is not scripture, but just illustrating a wedding, when the Holy Spirit says on that day, who gives this woman, this bride to be married to this man, the Father will say, I do, I do. And if the Holy Spirit says, who objects to this marriage? The devil's going to say, I do. That woman was a harlot and a whore. Do you deny it? No, you don't. And the son's going to say, I gave my life for her. From heaven I came and sought her to be my only bride. With my own blood I bought her. And for my life I gave and died for her. For her life I died. What is the aim of having the justifying righteousness of Jesus Christ? Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling because He's going to be faithful to do it. And to present you faultless before the presence of His glory because He's going to be faithful to do it with exceeding joy. The way we stand fast in the Lord And not be moved by afflictions or idols. As our forefathers said, totally nor finally. Yes, we can be moved. Yes, we're often moved. And yes, God is faithful to keep us. But He keeps us through the Word as we see the supremacy of Christ in such a way by the Holy Spirit that it produces a kind of joy that we cannot produce by seeing, knowing, loving, delighting, and being satisfied in the soul not in our circumstances, with all that Jesus is. Our husband, our friend, our savior, our helper, our rescuer, our deliverer. That's our fight. That's who God is. And that's how we stand fast in the Lord. Well, this is a sad time to end the conference.